Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. First Peter chapter 2. A big theme for us with First uh, Peter, elect exiles. That's how Peter addresses his letter, and that's what we are, even though we're not persecuted like his congregations were. We're elect, we're picked, we're chosen, um, we're selected, speaks to care, speaks to concern, speaks to God's adoption of us as his children. You think about adoption, this choosing of us. And we're also exiles, we're foreigners, we're strangers, we're sojourners, we're temporary residents in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we're living in this world. Last week, we, we unpacked a little bit more about this idea of exiles from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're part of a holy nation. We're part of a chosen people. We're part of a royal priesthood. We're part of God's special possession. And we become a part of those groups based on what we do with Jesus, who's called the living stone. If we embrace him and his message, then he becomes our cornerstone, the most important foundation in our life. If we reject him, then he becomes a stumbling stone to us. We fall over him. We reject him and we ultimately are rejected by the Father. And all that is dependent, dependent upon what we do with Jesus and with his message. For the next, I don't know, five, six, seven weeks, we're gonna be looking at this idea of being exiles. Peter spends a lot of time, two whole chapters, talking about unpacking in, really in some very specific situations. Here's what it looks like to live as an exile, as a foreigner. Here's what it looks like to live in this world, in these specific situations, as someone whose citizenship is in another world, whose value system is based in another world, whose perspective is based in another world. And so uh, today we'll look at the general principle, and then we'll begin, we'll look at just one of the specifics, and again, we'll unpack those over the next six or seven weeks. So here's general principle. How do we live as exiles in this world? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that's the general principle. I urge you as foreigners and exiles, one, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, and two, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now for a specific instance, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by the emperor to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, Honor the emperor. Okay, so general principle. Two things. There's a negative and a positive. What do we not do and what do we do? What do we not do? We don't engage our sinful desires. We abstain, we refrain, we avoid our sinful desires that wage war against our soul. A sinful desire, it's, it's an impulse that's rooted in our fallen nature. Your Bible may say fleshly desire. It's the same thing. It's, an imp, it's those drives that we have that, that seek to push us away from God. They're, they're these impulses that are independent of God. Now, a sinful desire is not the same thing as a sinful behavior. 
Sinful behaviors come from, from sinful desires, but they're not synonymous. What we tend to do is we look at sinful behaviors and we try to manage them. And sometimes we can get some of our sinful behaviors under control. But if we haven't dealt with our sinful desires, it's just going to leak out in a different way. We have to deal with our hearts. And that's what Peter's saying. You've got to deal with what's going on in your heart. You need to deal with things like greed, with things like covetousness, with things like malice, with things like lust. You need to be dealing at a heart level with these impulses that are independent of God. You need to abstain and refrain from them. If you're not dealing with those things, again, the behaviors, we're, 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 we're lost. We're going to lose that over time. The best we're going to be able to do is manage maybe one behavior, and then that desire is just going to express itself in another way. We don't tend to see those desires as waging war against our soul. We just see them as part of who we are, part of human nature. We don't see them as waging or campaigning long-term against us. That's what that, it's a military term, wage war against your soul. That means to, 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 to engage or to execute a long-term campaign against an enemy. And that's what those sinful desires are doing. They're, they're attempting to, to corrupt us and ultimately to enslave us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So that's kind of the negative side. It's what we don't do. And then the positive side, live a good life. Be holy. Love God. Love people. Follow Jesus. You know, you know what that means. Do, do that. I want you not just to abstain from sinful desires. It's not just about what we don't do. I want you to imitate Jesus. Again, love God. Love people. Be holy, as he says in chapter 1, verse 16. Why, why do we do these things? One is because it's who we are as foreigners and exiles. We're living out of our identity. We are exiles, so Peter says, live, live accordingly. This world is not your home, so don't act like it is. There should be tension between you and the broader culture. You should be out of step with your society to a degree because you have a different king. You're submitted to a different Lord. Nobody else is abstaining from their sinful desires. You're gonna do that. Not very many other people are attempting to live a good life as Jesus defines it. You're gonna do that. It's gonna, it's gonna be different. And that's okay because you're different. You're being who you are. You are an exile, so live accordingly. And then he goes further and he says there's a missional component. As you're living this way among the, the pagans, among unbelievers, they're gonna see your good life. They're gonna see these good deeds and they're gonna turn and glorify God. Peter is just repeating something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was there. He heard it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before people so when they see your good deeds, they turn and praise your Father in heaven. This is just Peter's restatement of that truth. That word see, it's not, it's not a, a one-time deal. It means to observe over a period of time. So this isn't somebody sees that one time you helped that little old lady cross the street. This is you're living somewhere among people for years. People didn't move a lot in this day. You, basically where you're born is where you died. And he's saying, as you're living among these people for years and years and years, they're gonna see the good deeds over time in your life and it's gonna cause them to think, to think well of Jesus. Not all of them, but some of them will turn towards him because of the way you're living. Again, as Christians, we live under a different king. We live under the rule and reign of Jesus and our lives should look different from the lives of those who aren't. Plain and simple. Our lives should look different because our king is different. 
and because his rule and reign is different. He says things like, forgive your enemies. He says like, things like, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Things like, it's better to give than to receive. He says stuff like that. And so our lives should reflect those values. They're going to be different. And again, not everybody. But over time, as people see you, one, abstaining from your sinful desires which not very many people do, and two, living obediently under the rule and reign of this king, they're gonna say, there's something about that that I like. There's joy in that person. There's peace in that person. There's contentment in that person. Think about this, these churches are being squeezed by their government and the way they're remaining faithful in the midst of that. That says something. They're, they're willing to remain loyal to their God, even though they're being persecuted. Some of them are being killed and they're still remaining loyal. That says something about how much they value this one that they're following. Live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that they'll see your good deeds and turn and glorify the God on the day that he visits. General principle, abstain, live a good life. Abstain from sinful desires, live a good life. And then Peter begins again to unpack some specifics. First, he says, here's how you're going to deal with the governmental authorities. For him, it's the emperor. Your Bible may say king. In this government, the king, the emperor, is the, he's, the, he's the big guy. He's the head of the government. And then he's talking about all the guys who are underneath him. The guys Peter's talking to, they don't have any in, in interaction with the emperor. They're way too insignificant for that. The emperor at this time is a guy named Nero who's horrible. He actually is going to wind up martyring Peter in a couple of years. He hasn't done it yet. Obviously, Peter's writing the letter, but he will within a couple of years. And, and Peter says, here's your general principle. I want you to submit. I want you to voluntarily yield, willingly place yourself under the authority of these guys. Obey them. That's the easiest way to understand submit. What does it mean to submit? It means to obey. It means to do what somebody's asking you to do. I want you to willingly yield to them. This is not a Christian government. It's not even neutral. These guys are actively persecuting these congregations that Peter is writing to. And Peter's saying, I want you to submit to them. That's what I want you to do. Their job is to maintain order. They punish people who do wrong and they commend people do, who do right. And I'm sure the guys in Peter's congregation are going, no, they're not doing that. We're not doing anything wrong and they're punishing us. And you're asking us to submit to them. And Peter's saying, yeah, I am. It's not absolute. It's not total. It's not a blanket statement. There are limitations. We submit for the Lord's sake. So if there's a place where to obey the government would mean to disobey Jesus, then you disobey the government and you face the consequences of that. Whatever those consequences are, you, you pay the price for your disobedience. If there's a place where in order to submit to God, it would mean to rebel against the government, well, then that's what you did. You submit to the Lord because it's for the Lord's sake that we're submitting. I think it was once a week that uh, citizens of the Roman Empire had to take a pinch of incense and burn it in a temple as a way of expressing loyalty and allegiance to Caesar. Caesar was the name, the general name for the for the emperor. So in this case, to, to, to show allegiance to Nero. And most Christians wouldn't do it. That seems so simple, doesn't it? It's a pinch of incense. 
Nobody even see you do it. You go by any time and just and do that. But most Christians wouldn't do it and they paid a price for it because for them, that looked a whole lot like worship. It looked a whole lot like placing Caesar on a level with Jesus. It looked like having another God. They wouldn't do it. In order, they were required to burn incense, but they wouldn't because for them, that created conflict with what it meant to follow Jesus. You'll have no other gods before me or next to me. And so they wouldn't do it. And again, many of them paid the, the price for that. So there are limitations. Those last few commands in verse 17, show proper respect for everyone. That's the same word as honor. So honor everyone and then honor the emperor. Show proper respect for everyone. Show proper respect for the emperor. It's the same verb. And what Peter's doing is he's relativizing the emperor. He's either lifting everybody else up or he's bringing the emperor down, however you want to see it. What he's doing is he's putting them on the same level. And he's saying, you should honor everybody. You should show proper respect for everybody who you're interacting with, including the emperor. He's no better nor worse than anyone else. He has a higher position than everyone else, but he's not, in terms of who he is as a person, he's not elevated above everyone else. We honor everyone. We show proper respect for everyone. We love the family of believers, a special obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, fear God. You don't fear anybody else. Chad talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We live reverently before God. We have a deep respect for God and God alone. Again, so he's placing our loyalty for God above our loyalty to the government. We fear God. We don't fear the government. Jesus says, don't worry. You don't need to fear someone who can destroy your body. You fear one who can destroy your body and later can throw your soul in hell. That's the guy you need to be afraid of. Or that's the guy we would say kind of in the New Testament sense, that's the guy that you need to live reverently before. That's the one you need to have deep and profound respect for. It's not the guy who can just wreck your body. It's the guy who can destroy your body and destroy your soul. And there's only one who can do that. And it's not Nero. So you don't have to be afraid of him in any, in any regard. You got to show him honor. You got to show him proper respect. But you fear God only. There's limitations around what it means to submit to the government. Verse 16 is where I want us to spend the rest of our time. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up or a pretext for evil. Live as God's slaves. So in this context, what Peter is saying is, listen, you're submitting to this government, even though they're not great, even though they're wicked and it's gonna get worse. One of the... Nero is really the first emperor who institutes a, a broader scale persecution of Christians. It'll happen in 64 AD. There's a great fire in Rome. People start blaming Nero. He's looking for a scapegoat and he picks the Christians. They're po the portion of town where most of them lived. It didn't burn. And so it was easy to blame them. And so he began to punish them in some horrific ways. One of which was he actually used them as candles he impaled Christians, set them on fire while they were alive for his, to light up his parties at night. That's the guy. Peter's saying, yeah, submit to him. So whatever we think our problems are, Trump, Biden, whoever, they're not doing that. So submit within these limits for the Lord's sake. And he's saying, so listen, you're, 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 you're submitting voluntarily. That's what it means to submit. 
You're willingly yielding to these governmental authorities that have been placed there. That's what you're doing. You're not doing it as slaves. You're doing it as free people. But don't allow the fact that you're doing this willingly to be a cover-up for not doing it. Don't allow the fact that you're free in Jesus. Don't use that as a pretext for rebelling against the government. That's the context that Peter is using. You're actually God's slaves. We're gonna unpack that just a little bit, but let me say this. I don't know that there's a place, I'm sure there is, but I can't think of it. A place where our American culture is farther away from the culture of the kingdom than when it comes to the definition of freedom. They're not even close. The way our culture defines freedom is autonomy, independence. I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's that's nowhere in the Bible. The way the New Testament defines freedom, it's the end of that verse. It's being God's slave. Freedom is defined in the context of relationship. What the New Testament would teach is there's no such thing as autonomy. There's no such thing as this independence that we think about. Everyone is a slave either to God or to Satan, ultimately. There, there, is no, there, there are no free people in the sense of I do what I want, when I want, when I, how I want. That, that's an illusion. One of the greatest tricks of the devil is he convinces us that when we're giving in to our sinful impulses, doing what we want, we're, we're living in freedom. And all we're doing is tightening the chains. That's it. Jesus says whoever sins is a slave to sin. He's either right or he's wrong. And I don't know anything he's wrong about. Who sinned? What does that make me? A slave to sin until Jesus comes to set me free. That's what it means to be free. He's set me free from sin and from Satan and from death. He set me free to obey him. Jesus is the model of freedom. What does he say about himself? I do only what I see the Father doing. I say only what I hear the Father saying. It's not this radical independence. It's not autonomy. It's not self-direction. It's dependence upon the Father. That's what freedom is. We only have two choices. Bob Dylan, you gotta serve somebody. Pick. It's Jesus or it's Satan. Which one of those two? You see this most clearly in people who are addicted and addicts. Engaging in self-destructive behaviors. They know they're self-destructive, but they can't not do it. They can't quit. They're powerless. They're slaves. Whether that's to pornography or to alcohol or to drugs or whatever it is. The thing is, we don't see that about our own sinful impulses. Again, it's a trick of the devil. But you do. I'm 48. Get, get my age and older and you start seeing it in people. People who've cultivated these sinful impulses for now at this point, almost 50 years. Those things begin to take a grip. You see people who have more money than they can ever spend. Greedy as a day is long. It's not enough. It's not enough. Oh, I want more. People who have, who've harbored malice against one person in their heart. One person they couldn't forgive for whatever reason. By the time they're 48, 58, 68, that malice is spread. They're bitter and resentful towards everyone. If we sin, we become a slave to sin. That's what those, those evil desires, they're waging war against our soul. They're, desi- they're wanting to corrupt us, to enslave us ultimately to the devil. 
We wanna live as free people. We wanna recognize Jesus is the picture of what it means to be free. And again, it's not radical independence and autonomy. It's radical dependence upon the Father. We're slaves either to him or to, the, or to, the, or, or, or to Satan. He came to set us free, yes. Free from sin, Satan, and death. And free to be a slave to his father. We don't want to use that as a cover-up for evil. I was thinking about this with government for us. Things could change, particularly for those of you who are younger than me. I don't see the day in my lifetime coming where the government is going to make it where I can't follow Jesus. I don't see that. I mean, maybe they make it inconvenient to some degree, but living in a, it's hard for me to see that in my however many years I got left, 30 years or whatever it is. It's hard for me to see that in the U.S. They're gonna, their, their laws will be passed and enacted that are going to make it where I can't follow him, where I can't worship in the way that I want, where I can't be obedient to Jesus. Maybe. I just don't see it. And there's hundreds of millions of Christians who live in that situation right now. They live in Islamic states, so they live in communist states, and it is illegal for them to follow Jesus. They're, they're first Peter too. That's where they're living. I actually think for many of us, we are the, the, the challenge for us when it comes to the government and freedom, it's not the government infringing upon our freedom to worship Jesus. It's basically the government saying, here are all these things that are okay for you to do. And us not using that freedom as a pretext for evil. Us not saying, well, because it's legal, then it's okay. That's not the standard for us. Romans 6 and Galatians 5. Those are the two chapters I'd encourage you to read. Romans 6 can be a little tricky, but just pull out the main points. It talks about being a slave to sin. And Galatians 5 talks about being free and what freedom looks like. I think it's verse 17. Paul says, you don't get to do what you want. The de your desires and the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are actually in conflict. That's why we don't just do whatever we want. We have to live submitted to Jesus. And where we're living, again, just because something is lawful and legal, that's not the standard for us. Just off the top of my head, this is equal opportunity offense for everybody. Here they are, uh, abortion. Right now, that's, a, that's gotten kicked to the states. It's gonna change based on whoever's sitting in the seat, don't you think? Over the course of however many years, it's gonna go become less and more restrictive. That doesn't necessarily matter to us as believers. The most, the, the best thing we could ever say about abortion is it's the lesser of two evils. If you're choosing between the life of a mother and a life of a child, it's a tragic situation no matter what. It's never something to be celebrated. It's always, always, again, best case, the lesser of two evils. It doesn't matter if it's illegal or not. It doesn't matter if, if, if uh, access is expanded in terms of the, the number of weeks and all of that, that people are allowed to do that. That's not the standard for us. We live in a stand your ground state. That means if somebody breaks into your house, you can shoot them. For those of you that have a gun and you're thinking, how am I gonna do that if somebody breaks into my house? Have you asked Jesus who's, who is, and under what conditions and what circumstances it's okay for you to shoot somebody? They're all created in the image of his father. Have you asked him? Exodus 22, two and three says, if a thief breaks into your house at night, and you kill them, then as a homeowner, you're not liable. But if a thief breaks into your house during the day and you kill them, you are liable. It's in there. Self-defense, yes, with limits, yes. 
Just because something's legal, it doesn't make it advisable for us. Have you asked the question for those of you that own guns? I'm not saying you gotta get rid of your gun. I'm just saying, have you prayerfully said, God, who, who can I shoot? I'm not joking. You need to ask him the question. You can't wait till somebody breaks into your house and try to figure that out. You won't, like don't. You can't take it back. You can't take that one back. You need to know before the Lord, who is it okay under what circumstances, in what conditions is it okay for me to shoot this gun at somebody? And you need to, have, you need to feel settled about that. Again, that, that, there are no take backs on that one. Recreational marijuana. In a handful of years, I'm sure that it'll be legal here in Georgia. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right for us. I'm more theologically conservative probably than many of you. I don't see how I can be led by the Holy Spirit and under the influence of marijuana at the same time. You might be more talented than me and you can do two things at once. I can't. It's one or the other. Just like I would say, I don't know how I can be led by the Spirit and under the influence of Jim Beam at the same time. You can have a margarita with your nachos. I don't know that you need to be having four. Who's, at, like a, at what point are you no... At what point is the Holy Spirit no longer the Lord? And in that moment, at what point have you so compromised your ability to hear his voice and obey him? You're a slave to something else. Just because it's legal doesn't make it okay for us. Euthanasia. We're all gonna, many of us are gonna have to face that question for ourselves or for somebody we love. What, what physician-assisted suicide, that's a nicer way of saying it. It, it, just, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that becomes the law of the land in the next several decades as people, as you know, kind of that end of life thing, people are living longer and lingering longer. Have you thought through that? Withdrawing life support, in, in my opinion, is not the same thing as giving somebody medicine to kill them. Pulling the plug, that's a crass way of saying it. If machine is keeping somebody alive, then we say we're not gonna do that anymore. And then death naturally occurs. That's very different to, in my opinion, that's very different than introducing something to the situation that speeds up or causes death. One is saying, I'm gonna let kind of, again, nature take its course, and another is I'm gonna help nature along. Those aren't the same thing. Have you thought through that and prayed through that? Right now, there's a, there are bills in the Georgia legislature about uh, legalizing sports betting. Are you okay with that? Have you thought through just because it's legal, does that make it okay? Have you asked the Lord, how much of your money can I gamble away? You, at least ask him the question. Is this okay? Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's beneficial for us. We, our citizenship is in another kingdom. There's going to be tension. We're going to be exiles here. At times, we're going to seem silly and people aren't going to understand. And at other times, people are going to be offended. And they're going to get angry. Are you settled on what it looks like for you as a follower of Jesus? My nightmare when we talk about specifics is Matthew 23. That's a, that's a, that's a passage to people like me. 
who stand up and talk to other people. The last thing I want to do is bind up a heavy load and place it on your back, give you more things to do to impress God. The last thing I want to do is focus on trivial matters, tithing these spices, neglecting the more important matters. That's not my intention. I'm not telling you how to live other than to say, live as an exile. Live as an exile. And don't use your freedom as a cover-up just to do what you want. We're all tempted to do that. Every one of us. To use our freedom in Jesus to just do the things that we wanted to do anyway. Don't do that. Peter says, you living this way, you're gonna silence the talk of foolish people. To be a fool in the Bible, that's not intellectually deficient, it's morally deficient. It's a moral issue, not an intellectual issue. To be a fool is to not fear God, and fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're a fool, you don't fear God, therefore you're not wise. What Peter's talking about is slander. They're slandering the church. At this point, the church could easily be like 50 people. It's small, and most likely it's not important in influential people. It's marginal people. These guys are first-generation Christians, and they're the first Christians in their city. The church is somebody's living room. And more powerful people are slandering the church. They're saying things like they're a bunch of cannibals because they talk about eating flesh and drinking the blood of their Lord this person, Jesus. And we hear that and it's laughable. People, again, like try to think back. These people have no experience with the gospel, no experience with Jesus, no experience with the church because it didn't exist until like 30 years before Peter is written. And it didn't exist in their area probably until a few months before he wrote the letter. Maybe a few years. It's a small, small number of people they're being slandered. They're saying things like, when they get together, it's, it's an orgy. They call it a love feast. They're incestuous. They call each other brother and sister. Even their spat, they're marrying their siblings. We hear that and we're like, that's ridiculous. We've got 2,000 years of church history behind us. They didn't. And Peter's saying, listen, when you submit to the governing authorities within these limits, you're gonna, you're gonna make those guys be quiet. Eventually, bigger principle, some of them will turn towards Jesus. Some of these people that right now are hostile, when they see the way you live over the course of years and decades, they're gonna turn towards him. It's, it's not just about us. We're exiles here, but our life here can point people to him. That's not pressure. It's because life with him It's just better. It's just better. And as we follow him, other people will see that. Not all of them, but some of them will decide the same. It's better with him than without him. Without him. Let's pray. We're gonna run a few minutes late, but it's okay. If you're helping with communion, if you come forward and ministry teams, you can too. So I'm trying to walk that line of 
encouraging and challenging without prescribing. And so I just hope you can hear my heart in that. You don't have to justify any decision you make to me. What I'm asking you and pushing you to do is to acknowledge you're in this world as an exile. Just because something is legal doesn't make it beneficial. Are you asking him, what does it look like for me to follow you in this fallen world? And again, hear this for what it is. If your life or my life looks exactly like the lives of those who aren't following him, we're probably, we're probably doing something wrong. He makes a difference. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you speak to us the things that we need to hear? I don't know what everybody needs to hear. Would you speak to us? I pray as we take communion that we would recognize the freedom that you've purchased for us. What this bread and juice represents. Freedom from sin and Satan and death. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to give in to every sinful impulse. We can be free to follow you. I do pray for any who are in a habitual pattern of sin, if that's a pattern of behavior or thought. They're just trapped. God, would you set them free today? If that's you, it, I know it's not easy to do, but I would encourage you, let one of these ministry teams pray for you. Just tell them, hey, I'm, I'm stuck. Or I'm trapped. I'm not living in freedom. I drink every night, put myself to sleep. They're not going to try to diagnose you. They're just going to pray for you. I look at pornography. Three days, four days, five days, seven days a week. You want to keep doing that? I wouldn't think so. You can be set free. We pray for your... We pray for the power to break chains here this morning. For some of you, it's just thought patterns. Fears or something like that. You can be set free. We don't want to use our freedom as a pretext for evil, but we do want to enjoy the freedom that's been purchased for us. So God, would you come and would you work in each one of our hearts? Would you speak to us what it is to live in this world? as strangers and foreigners and exiles. I do want to pray if there's any who are feeling particularly burdened by anything that I shared, I pray that you would, they would know your freedom as well. In Jesus' name, amen. for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 